Daniel chapter 9, and uh, <clears throat> I, uh, I want to preach the whole chapter, but I will not be able to. I know you're sad. I know you're disappointed. I will not be able to do it because there's so, so much that's in, in this scripture, so many things that are here. And so I'm going to try my best to, <clears throat> to get out what the Lord's given me. Um, I want to read you something from our 11th president. Most of you probably have no idea who the 11th president is. If you do, I, man, you are smart. Kudos to you. But James K. Polk is his name. He was actually a governor in Tennessee, and uh, he was actually the, um, um, what you would call the place of where Nancy Pelosi is now, former Speaker of the House, the only one at that time that was voted in to be the president also. And I want you to listen to these words, and I want you just to hear, just for just, for just a little bit, a moment, the way people used to speak, the way, I'm, I'm not trying to preach about the way things used to be, I'm trying to get you to listen to the way people used to speak. And even us or we today, we don't speak like this anymore. And I don't mean just the English or the grammar style. Uh, we live in the South. We kind of, we don't know big words. We change them. I think it was Dad the other night or somebody the other night, Brother Bill the other night, was doing Sunday school. And he was like, you know, I had to look these words up, you know, because most of us, we don't use these words anymore. And um, I just want you to hear just for a moment, because there is a point to it uh, of all these things. But listen to what the president said. In assuming, this was in his inaugural address, in assuming responsibility so vast, I fervently invoke the aid of that almighty ruler of the universe and whose hands are the destinies of nations and of men to guard this heaven-favored land against the mischiefs, which without his guidance might arise from an unwise public policy. With a firm reliance upon the wisdom of omnipotence to sustain and direct me in the path of duty which I am appointed to pursue. We don't hear people speak in such a way uh, in, in that way anymore. <clears throat> you go to different places where, I, I've been in Kentucky where the monument actually to Lincoln was first built. Most of the time, everyone thinks that the Lincoln Memorial is there in Washington, D.C. That's actually the second one. The first one is built there on his own homestead that they built with 50-something steps that go up to it. They patterned it after what they built there in Kentucky. <clears throat> and you don't hear addresses, you don't hear speeches with such integrity, with such depth uh, right now. Um, even in my own span of lifetime, there, were, there was a time when I was very young in the 80s that you would hear people invoke upon God Almighty. You would hear them say that we call upon the creator of the universe. We, we go back and look at all of these addresses and look at all of these speeches and look at these things. Even one president in the 80s said that if we uh, are not a nation under God, then we are a nation gone under. You know, President Reagan said those things. And there was a time when people spoke scripture that you knew that it was scripture because it had this ring to it. It had this flavor to it. And the flavor was not the sound of of it all, but it was the absolute clarity that that gave God glory and not men or women. And there was this, and I'm, I'm not trying to say, hey, we're going to need to go back and we need to rewind. I'm saying we need to do as what the Lord told Hezekiah, that we need to search out the old paths 
that we need to come to a place of what the scriptures today call repentance, means that we realize we're in the wrong and we need to reverse these things. Last week, my family and I were able to enjoy a a good time away. As a matter of fact, the church was so wonderful in their gift and, and allowed us to go on a vacation together. And we used that to go to, I know people went New York City. You know, some people went like, New York City. Those guys asked me to bring salsa back. <clears throat> and I was like, what are you talking about? And I forgot about the commercials, you know. Um, there's not much salsa up there unless it's dancing. Um, but we went through there and uh, I, I desperately wanted to go back to what's called St. Paul's Chapel uh, Trinity Church and all of these other things. And at the time that we were there, I actually, I want to tell you, I'll be honest with you, I came back discouraged a little bit. I came back with my, my balloon burst um, because I was wanting to get in there, wanting to pray because uh, when our first president, George Washington, was inaugurated as president at Federal Hall, he marched from there and went all the way to St. Paul's Chapel instead of going to Trinity Church, because Trinity Church had been burned, but they spared St. Paul's Chapel with a bucket brigade, you know, and saved the church. And George Washington's whole thing was is that I can't do any of this, even in his prayer journal, I cannot do any of these things if God is not with me, if God does not direct me. George Washington's prayer was absolutely Psalms chapter number 3, verses 5 and 6, that he knew there's no way that he would ever have enough wisdom or guidance. And if you've ever had an opportunity to read George Washington's prayer journal, every morning at 26 years of age, every morning it started out by, God, please direct me, please help me, please lead me to do these things and to, to be able to honor you in all things. And then his afternoon or evening prayer was always this, God, please forgive me of how I messed up everything today. It was a constant. He knew that prayer was vital in his life. He knew that there had to be this every day, every day, multiple times a day, communication with God because he walked in a way that he said, I can't do these things on my own. There's so many of us that we're trying our best to do better, to be better, to try to attempt to try to be a better person and stuff. And God's constantly saying, you can't. He's constantly saying, come to me, all you that labor and are trying to do better and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Stop. Put that yoke down and take my yoke upon you. You know why he's saying take my yoke upon you? Because he's hooked up to the other side of that yoke, and he's going to help you to get through those times that you can't get through. And so it, it's hard sometimes. And when we were walking through and um, a lot of things that were going on this week with pride and other things that people call pride and God calls sin, it was just... It was just everywhere. It was just flashed all over the place. And I was going, God, we need you. We look at, you look at Times Square and there are drugs everywhere and there's people everywhere and there's sin everywhere. There's covered people and uncovered people. There's from, we went everywhere from New York to Coney Island and, and everywhere we went, there was a, all nations, all people, every race, every tongue, all over the place. But sin was everywhere. Patty said, what are you doing? I was walking out on Coney Island off the boardwalk. She said, where are you going? I said, I've come this far. I'm touching that water. It's just the way I am. It doesn't matter how many people I have to pass. There were people everywhere. I'm walking by them like this. And I get down to the water and a wave hits me right and, and soaks my shoes and my socks. And I was frustrated. And when we get back on the subway, Patty says, Steve... What were those people doing over there? They had a lantern. It was in the middle of the day. What were they doing with a lantern over there? And I was like, Patty, those are drugs. That's, a, that's not a lantern. 
I'm so glad I have a wife who is very, very desensitized of sin. I was like, and I hope we come to your house and never find this lantern. But it wasn't a lantern, and, uh, but it looked like one. It looked like you would rub it, and a genie would come out. And I was like, no, no, no. They, they, they're seeing genies, but it's not because of that. And, man, there are drugs everywhere. And I come back, and literally this is what I said. I was telling God. I was telling the Lord. I said, we're losing. In my heart, I felt like we're losing. We're losing the battle. There's one place on Wall Street that's called One Wall Street. You actually can go to the financial district where the Federal Hall is, where he was inaugurated as president. And there's this huge image of George Washington, the statue of George Washington. But then off to the side is a small placard of him kneeling down and praying. And everyone wants the great leader, but they forget about what it takes to be a great leader. And I'm looking at that, and people, Craig, have literally carved out what was said about him, broken off the stones and wrote on things. And I'm like, Lord, we're slowly eroding away from what we first said we were as a nation. A nation who would be under God's guidance. A nation who would be a nation who everyone would have the liberty for what? Life, the pursuit of happiness, all of these things that we were all created equal. By who? Our creator. Amen? Not a scientific experiment, but a creator who created us. And, and I told her, I said, I felt so horrible in my prayer life. I said, I felt so horrible because I was going to God saying, we're losing losing the battle and it looks that way but no one knew that more than Daniel no one knew what it looked like to be losing the battle more than Daniel and it did not cause him to be complacent but it drove him to his knees in prayer it drove him to the word of God and it drove him to speak to God. It didn't cause him to go, well, since we're losing, we'll just might as well throw it all in and lay around on our beds and cry about it all day long. No, it's like Brother Bill Walker shared this past Wednesday. He said, sometimes you'll look up and you'll see in that football gap, you got the ball going to run it and there's nothing there and you can look down and then look back up and there's a big old ugly linebacker staring right at you. And that linebacker across his jersey says, doubt. Telling you, if you miss these Wednesday night Bible study times, you miss a really, really good time of feeding on the Word of God. Listen, although Daniel was exiled most all of his life, the entirety of his life, the only freedom that Daniel knew of was in the first 14 to 15 years of his life. Sister Darla, the only time that he knew what it was like to walk around as a person of a nation, as an individual that walked in liberty and in freedom, was the first 14 to 15 years of his life because after that, all he knew was exile and captivity. All he knew was slavery and bondage. That's all that he knew. Daniel is about 85 to 87 years old now as we get into the book of Daniel chapter number 9. Daniel in this exile, listen, he was captive in a godless land, moving rapidly toward the end of his life, but he still had great hope for his people in light of one thing, the sure and certain promises that are found in the Word of God. Confidence in the promises of God didn't move him to complacency, but it drove him to action to his knees and to hold on to the Scriptures. This morning, as we're talking about Daniel, we've got to remember, just as I have to be reminded also, at times that God is faithful in the absolute worst times. We may feel like we are losing 
We may feel like everyone else is winning. We may feel defeated sometimes. We may feel this surge of just excitement spiritually, and you're ready to go. And then all of a sudden, a wave overtakes you, a rogue wave of of doubt, fear, whatever it may be, overtakes you, and you go inward, and you say, we're losing, just as I did. I'm telling, I'll be honest. I was looking around at everything that was going on. And I was like, Lord, what can we do? For three weeks, even before we went, three weeks, all I've thought about for three solid weeks and pray every day is what the Lord says in Isaiah. He says, what more could have been done in my vineyard that I have not already done? He said, when I came to my vineyard to find grapes, I found wild grapes. He said, what more could be done? That's God. I understand that phrase because I'm a human man and a father. I understand what it's like to go to bed or to wake up and you have that prayer, Craig, where you're going, what else could I do to help my wife? What else could I have done to help my son? What else could I have done to help that church member? I understand that phrase because we're always, Brother Ricky, trying to figure out what else can we do. But God... God said that? What else could he do? You know what I say to that? There's nothing else that he could have done. He's done everything. He said, I supplied the vineyard for you. You didn't even plant it. He said, I grew the grapes, and all you have to do is pluck them. He said, I even put you, Israel, in sealed houses. You had nothing but tents to dwell in, and I put you in sealed houses. And he said, when I come to find fruit, I found wild grapes. And God says, what more could have been done in my vineyard? I'm telling you, I've struggled, Brother Mitch, for weeks on that phrase. Going, God, don't you know you've done everything? Don't you know that you've done way above any, any God, anything? That shows me how much he loves us. That shows me that he's constantly caring for you and for me to come to him, to come to him, that he goes, what more could I do? What more could I do for Andrew? What more could I do for Barbara? What more could I do for Edward? God's saying those things. What more could I do? Amen? I mean, he sowed it. He watered it. He gave the sunshine upon it. What more could he do? Nothing except for just go, fruit. And he doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. He sows it. Daniel is 85 to 87 years old. And he's in this middle of this battle. And I want to preach to you today about this thought. Just one word. We Just one word is found here in Daniel chapter number 9, and I want you to see it. And it says, we. First of all, look at verse number 1. The Bible says, in the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, of the seed of the Medes, which was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. When you look at this phrase and you understand this scripture, please understand with me that it's talking about in the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, it's talking about King Cyrus. 
His name is Cyrus. But you remember the Medes and the Persians, they called their kings Darius. It was like calling them Lord. That was what the title that would be given unto them. The word Darius or Darius actually means that. But the Bible plainly says here that this is in the first year of Darius, King Darius, or Darius the son of Ahasuerus, which is Cyrus. And he is of the seeds of the Medes. And he comes in and he's now made the king over the Babylonian people. The Bible says this first point, that you need to remember this. You need to write it down. If you don't have the uh, phone capabilities and, and have the uh, notes today, it's on there. You can go home and see them there, but I wish you'd write it down if you could. The first thing we need to realize, when Daniel faced this adversity and faced this thing of, Lord, it seems like we're losing in a battle, the first thing he did, he had to set his hope on the Word. Some of us today, when we are in what we call in the South a tizzy, <clears throat> when we're in a, a uproar, when we're in kind of panic mode and we don't know what we need to do, some of us, if not all of us, our first thing is to call our family, our best friends. The first thing we do when we're in a tizzy, we tend to get out our phones and we start asking people, <clears throat> texting them, pray for us, pray for us, pray for us. First thing we do is we get out our phones and we call and say, hey, we need you to help us out. We need you to pray for us. We're going through this. We're going through that. Daniel knew better. Daniel knew something better when he thought that all of this stuff was discouraging and that the battle was being lost. Daniel did one thing that we need to learn how to do better. The church today, this church today, needs to learn how to do this better. You have a word that's given unto you. That is not a thought or an expression or an emotion from some friend or family member, but you have a sure word of prophecy given to you. You have an absolute truth that, Brother Craig, they can, if we wrote it in stone, they could chisel away just like they did at Federal Hall, but it still will not take away what the truth actually is. That's why the Scripture says to do what? To read it, hide it in our hearts that we may not sin against God. The reason we need to hide it in our hearts is because we need to put it in our well so that when we need a withdrawal, the bucket brings up what we need at that time. Daniel, when he faced discouragement, if we learn anything at all today, you need to hear me. When you face the toughest times you'll ever face, because they will come. As I told somebody the other day about the book of Job, I said, no matter what Job went through, no matter that he lost 10 of his children in one day, no matter that he lost all of his possessions in one day, no matter that his friends said all these things, it doesn't matter at all. And people go, well, I've never experienced what Job did. Every one of you in here have had a Job experience of your own. See, because the problem is, is we want to look at how much he lost. It doesn't matter how much you lose at that time because when you're going through it, you experience what Job experienced. And you feel it to the bones of your body. And Daniel knew what it was like. Daniel knew through all of this. Listen, he was just sitting there. Daniel's mind and heart was going every which way. He's trusting in the Lord, but he's having visions of the beasts that are rising out of the sea. And he's troubled so much that he loses his own body itself, of the health of his body itself. He begins to be sick. He begins to, be able, uh, uh, begins to not be able to eat, not function properly and all that. And all this stuff is just like a tornado or a whirlwind 
all around Daniel. And Daniel says, in the first year of Cyrus, I sat down because I needed something from God. And what did I do? I put my hope in God's word. Now, what you don't know is, is that Daniel didn't have much of God's word. He didn't have as much as we do, Brother Mitch. He didn't have as much as we do. He didn't have the New Testament wonderful things about the Messiah and actually to the detail of what he did. No, but he had some of the word. And that's the most important thing. You know, I looked at the battle that we're maybe losing, and I come back and I looked at my wife on the airplane, and I was crying, and I said, but yet we're going to go back and we're going to argue about if we need hymn books or TVs. We're going to argue about seats or pews. We're going to go back and we're going to be frustrated about if one service or two services and stuff, when I know people in Belize that hold a piece of paper that has been passed down and passed down and you can barely read the words of the hymn songs or the songs that are on there and they're holding these, but yet we'll go to our movie theaters and watch all of our stuff on a 40-foot screen TV in 4K because that's the way we want our stuff. But we get mad. And I said, Patty, I said, I need to refocus my heart because if not, I'm going to be tempted to get angry. Don't look at me all holy. Tempted to be frustrated and want to turn tables over. And you know what I had to do? I had to put my hope on the word of God. I had to get my eyes off of flags that were flying and put my hope on the word of God. No matter which flag was flying. No matter which one was tattered. No matter which one was prideful. I still had to say, that's not where my hope is. My hope is in nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Amen. And the word of God. And Daniel, look at what he says in verse 2. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood, look at these words, by the books, by books, the number of the years whereof the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. Daniel knew what he was going through. Daniel was experiencing captivity. Listen to me. And Daniel said, I had to get the word of God to understand it. Because 165 years before Daniel walked through all of this stuff, a prophet by the name of Jeremiah that was a weeping prophet that said he was not worthy to share the word of God. He was just, just a child. God led him. <clears throat> God spoke to him. And he pinned down the words in chapter 6 and said that the nation of God became so, undef or so defiled by sin that they no longer were ashamed of their sins or their abominations. They didn't blush. They didn't repent. He even told them in chapter 22 and 23, he says, the priesthood has gotten so defiled. He said, they are sheep, lead, or excuse me, shepherds leading the sheep astray, leading them into the very things that are ungodly. And Jeremiah said, God is going to punish us for this. God is going to judge us for this. We cannot think that we are the greatest nation on the earth because we're chosen by God, but yet think that he will not chastise us if we need a whooping. And Jeremiah wrote it down and he said, you have robbed for 490 years, you have robbed God of his Sabbath years and he has come to take payment of those years. You, children of Israel, nation of Israel, you are going to be in captivity, in slavery for 70 years because you were supposed to give God those Sabbath years and you robbed him and 70 years are determined. Daniel had to look at the word of God. But here's where he had his hope, Brother Craig. When he looked at the word of God, can't you see Daniel? Daniel for a moment going, one, two, four, five, six, seven. Wait a minute. I'm 85 years old. 
about 68, 69. And he goes to Jeremiah and he goes, verse number two right there in Daniel, he says, oh, it says in Jeremiah that God's going to accomplish 70 years in Jerusalem. Can't you see Daniel going, 68, 69? We're almost out of this. We're at the end of all of this. And Daniel had to, you know what he had to do? He had to put his hope in that. Where did Jeremiah get his hope? He had to find his hope over there in the books of Moses. Amen? Where do we find our hope? Where do we find what we need to sustain us in life? Something that's like bread of life to us. Where do we find that? It's in the Word. Listen, we get our hope from the things <coughs> that Paul wrote, that Timothy shared, that James and John and Peter and all of those shared and preached. They got their hope from the words of Jesus. They got their hope from the words of Daniel and Jeremiah and Isaiah. Daniel got his hope from where? Jeremiah. Jeremiah got his from Moses, but it all comes from God. That's why we need to set our hope on the word. Here's the second thing that Daniel did. He set his eyes on the Lord. He put his hope on the Word of God. Now listen, setting your eyes on the Lord is a different thing than setting your hope on the Word. See, because when we're setting our hope on the Word of God, what we have to do is we have to know that even if it was year 65 of those 70 years, Daniel had to hold on to that Word like a wonderful golden nugget and go, you know what? There's five years left. You say, what do you, what do you mean, Brother Steve? The Bible tells us that I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. It says that they will, at the sound of the trumpet, at the voice of the trumpet, amen, the voice of the archangel, the voice of Jesus Christ himself, he says they will rise up, that incorruptible. It says that corruption will put on incorruption, and that mortal will put on immortality, amen. The Bible tells us that in the twinkling of an eye, we will be changed. And what do we do with that? We hope on that word. We hold it to us in hope. We know that hope in the word of God is not hope like we teach in America today where, well, I hope it's pretty tomorrow or I hope it doesn't rain tomorrow. No, it is looking already at the predestinated things that we know is truth and we know are covenants and we know are promises knowing that God's going to keep his word. Amen? Listen, the Bible says that after he put his hope on the word, he put his eyes on the Lord. And God knows we need this one. Every single one of us. Every single one of us have two, right? Maybe Maybe some others in here, please don't be offended. You, one of them may not work as well as the other one. <clears throat> Most of us, we have two. And what are we always doing? We're constantly, constantly looking around at everything else. Let a storm rise up in the middle of a revival. Everybody else, everybody's looking at the back. They ain't looking at the preacher anymore. They're looking at the back. Let a kid get snotty and start crying in church, and the preacher is tuned out, and everybody's watching the kid, like wondering what's going to happen. They're going to sneeze. They're going to cry. They're going to do this. And I'm telling you, all the attention span just totally goes off. We have a hard time. I have a hard time with distractions. And we have to constantly refocus ourselves. Lord, I know, refocus ourselves. You say, what do you mean, bro? See, how many of you have kids? Any of you ever had kids before? You may not have got them in your house now, but you had them before, okay? Remember what it was like when they were little and they did wrong? And you're constantly, you know, look at me. You know, and you start talking to them, and they look away. No, no, look at me. That's the way that it is with the Lord. 
Constantly we're looking away. Constantly maybe because of shame and guilt. But sometimes it may be because something else is going on. And we need to refocus our attention. Look at verse number 3. The Bible says, And I set my face unto the Lord God to seek by prayer and supplications with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. Daniel said, I had to put my face to the Lord. He said, I had to turn all of my attention to him. He said in the scriptures, Keith, I put my hope on the word, but I put my eyes on the Lord. He said, what do you mean? The Bible says that we are not to be looking for signs and wonders and all of these things. The Bible says we are to be looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. We are supposed to be looking on him, the blessed assurance of our hope. Amen. We're to be scanning the skies, waiting for him to call us home because that's the promise, Sister Patricia, that he gave, that he would not leave us, but he would come again and receive us unto himself. That Martha, where he is, what? We shall be also, amen. Every single time he talked about that, he said, comfort yourself with these words. That means take the hope and comfort it with the word. But we've got to redirect our attention to him. And most of the time, God does not have our undivided attention. Most of the time, God doesn't have the believer's undivided attention if he did we wouldn't say things all the time like, I can't believe this person, I can't believe that, I can't believe this is going on, I can't believe this sin, I can't believe that. See, because that's got our attention. Now listen to me before you get mad at me and blow up on me. I do have good things to say later. But you talk about what has your attention. You do. We talk about, I'll say it better so you won't get so mad at me. We talk about what has our attention. What you share in your words in hallways is what's got your attention. What you share on your thumb wars and media and social media, that's what has your attention. I'm telling you, it's the truth. We should know this, and that's fine. I like it when it gets quiet. When a mosquito gets quiet, it means it's drawing blood. When it gets quiet in here, I hope the Holy Spirit's drawing blood. Listen, Daniel confessed, i got to turn my face to the Lord because I can't keep looking at all these things. And you say, what was he having a struggle with? We already talked about it in chapter 7 and 8. He was having a struggle with those beasts that were going to come, those kingdoms that were going to rise and come out of the sea. And he was struggling with that last one, saying it's the worst thing that I could ever think of. And Daniel said, i got to fix this. And this is what we need to do. Listen to me. I am not preaching at you. I promise you I'm not preaching at you. I am preaching to myself and hopefully preaching with you, to you, not at you. But the Bible says, just like Daniel, we need to go, God, i got to get my eyes off of all this stuff that's going on in church machinery. I need to get my eyes back on you. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Put your face to the Lord. So our problem is, is we are trained, indoctrinated, set up to receive what we like. Most conservative people hate CNN and they love Fox. 
most liberal people hate Fox and they love CNN. And do you not see that the devil is serving? He's like a hibachi griller. He's like, oh, you like shrimp? Give you shrimp. You like steak? Give you steak. It's exactly what he's doing. You know, you know, like onions, okay. No onions for you. You like the onion volcano, okay. Choo-choo. We'll do all of that. He's serving it up left and right. And what's he doing? He's getting the church distracted from what we should be looking at. And it's Jesus. And before long, what we look at is we come in and we talk about everything Fox News told us is doom and gloom and happening. Everything that CNN is doing. And we are being catered to, people. We need to wake up. Social media is the same way. Craig gets on Facebook and I don't like what he says. Unfriend him. I ain't got to listen to him. Unfollow, unfriend, everything. You know, we do all that every day. And what we have built is a platform of people that are exactly like us. And let me tell you something. I'll say it this way. You're messed up. We are messed up. Daniel said, I've got to get my eyes refocused back on the Lord. Hope in his word. Put my eyes into the Lord. Listen to this last thing. He says, we need to set our hearts unto the truth. You say, what does that mean? I want you to hear this. Daniel 9, verse 4. And I prayed unto the Lord, my God. Before we go further, that word right there, and I don't know which way I turn all the time, I think... I think people at home, it's above me. I get to do this right above me. See that capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. He's talking about, I prayed to Jehovah. <laughs> Daniel's saying, I don't want you to be confused when I use the word Lord. I'm not praying to Darius or Darius. He said, no. no I'm talking to Jehovah. I'm talking to the great one, that wonderful Hebrew Yahweh I'm talking about. I'm praying to the I am, the I am. Listen to what he says. I prayed unto the Lord my God and made my confession and said, O Lord, <clears throat> the great and dreadful God, keeping the covenant and mercy with them that love him and to them that keep his commandments. Listen to Daniel. We have sinned and have committed iniquity and have done wickedly and have rebelled even by departing from thy precepts and from thy judgments. Talking about we've moved away from your word and the truth, the covenants. Verse 6, <clears throat> Neither have we hearkened unto thy servants, the prophets. He said, we've not listened to Jeremiah. We've not listened to the prophets that were before. <clears throat> he says, they spake in thy name to our kings and to our princes and our fathers and to all the people of the land. O Lord... Righteousness belongeth unto thee, but unto us confusion of faces, as at this day to the men of Judah and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to all Israel that are near and that are far off, though all, or through all the countries whither thou hast driven them, because of their trespass that they have trespassed against thee. O Lord, to us belongeth confusion of face, and to our kings, to our princes, and to our fathers." Because, look at Daniel, we have sinned against thee. To the Lord our God belongeth mercies and forgiveness. Though we have rebelled against him, neither have we obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. 
Yea, all Israel have transgressed thy law, even by departing, that they might not obey thy voice. Therefore, the curse is poured upon us. And the oath that is written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, because we have sinned against him. And he hath confirmed his words which he spake against us and against our judges that judged us by bringing upon us a great evil, for under the whole heaven hath not been done as hath been done upon Jerusalem. Stop right there. Daniel is pulling out of Leviticus. He's pulling out of Deuteronomy. He is in the end of Deuteronomy, chapter number 28, and he's saying, God, you told us by your promise and covenant. See, in the word of God, we say, I promise, or I I pinky swear, or, or I cross my heart kind of thing. God says, I make a covenant with you. God's covenant was not just in heart alone or in thought alone. It was through the blood that was shed between a lamb or an animal that was uh, spotless and had no blemish. And God said, I make a blood covenant with you. And he says, when you go into the land, if you honor me and you glorify me, you will be blessed of all nations. But Ricky, God said in Deuteronomy, but if you do not, and you walk the ways of other gods, and you serve false gods, little G-O-D-S, and you go the way of the people that dwell in that land, he said, I will send judgment upon you. And I will send in people that are no people, that are wicked, and they will judge you, and they will bring you down. And here's Daniel. He's not just quoting the good stuff of Jeremiah about we ain't got but 70 years, 68, 69, 70, woo, we're out of here. Uh-uh. He goes, you know what? God, we've done exactly what you warned us not to do. We have gone astray exactly like you told us not to do. And look at verse number 13. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this evil has come upon us. (laughs) It happened just like you said. Now look at this. Look at this word. Yet... Made we not our prayer before the Lord our God, that we might turn from our iniquities and understand thy truth. He said, even though we saw this coming because you told us, we still did not repent. Even though we knew it was wrong, we still didn't make our prayer to you. And what God is telling Daniel, what Daniel is praying to God, uh, really, but what God is telling us today through the word of Daniel, Daniel is saying, even though we knew it was wrong, and we even tried to attempt to do better, to do greater things, and to be a better person, to turn over a new leaf, he said it still never worked out because we failed at doing one thing. We never made our prayer to you. We tried to do it on our own, and we never made our prayer before the Lord God that we might turn, we might repent. Metonea, Nahum in the Old Testament, which means to have a change of mind and heart. Metonea or Metonea in the New Testament, which means that you're walking this way. And God says, if you want true repentance, you must confess that sin and turn this way. And he says, Daniel says, we didn't do that. Verse 14, therefore hath the Lord watched upon the evil and brought it upon us. 
For the Lord our God is righteous in all his works which he doeth. <laughs> For we obeyed not his voice. And now, O Lord our God, thou hast brought thy people forth out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and hast gotten thee renown or fame and glory. He says, as at this day, Daniel says, Lord, we've sinned. We have done wickedly. There is no better man in the Bible than you'll find than Daniel. That you'll find than Daniel. There was no more faithful servant of God than Daniel. Daniel was like Josiah that didn't turn to evil in the left hand or to the right hand. There is, I'm, I'm telling you, there are people in here that they have prayed and said, Lord, I want to be like Daniel. And I go, oh, do you? Because to be like Daniel, you're going to have to go through some things. You think you want that lion's den until you hear the first roar or even the first purr. This, is, this man right here, everything, he had this modest touch about him. Everything he touched turned to gold, it seemed like. When he was faced up against Aspenaz in chapter 1 about eating of the king's table and sinful things, he sought God and then he simply made a request not to do that. All other people would have been, you're dead. <clears throat> Kill you. Aspenaz goes, I can't do that. And Daniel says, just try it out for 10 days. Try it out for 10 days. and Then, then come look at our countenance and our body and see if we're not better, see if we're good. And he did. Daniel was thrown into dens of lions. Daniel was made third in the kingdom. Daniel was made first in the kingdom. Listen, kings were falling left and right. Nebuchadnezzar, ah. Belshazzar, ah. You know, they're, they're, ah. all these people dying, and there's Daniel. Shining as bright as Brent Bailey with a bunch of kids on a Sunday morning. That made my heart so happy. It did. Faithful. There was no person in the Bible more faithful than Daniel except Jesus. And Daniel got on his knees and said, We. Makes you want to go, get up, man. It ain't you, it's us. But Daniel said, we. Multiple times in that scripture, he said, we, we, we. The people of God who have been forgiven of much understand that wonderful forgiveness that's needed. Do you find that the most gracious and forgiving people in the house of God are those who have needed it the most? And do you find that those who do not extend it are those who think that they've never needed it much when every person from you to the back has needed the exact same thing to be saved? The exact same thing for the forgiveness of sins is the blood of Jesus Christ. The Bible says in Ephesians 1, verse 7, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. It's, it's the forgiveness. I stood there the other day and I was crying and I was trying to leave. We called for an Uber. We're getting all kinds of wild now. <laughs> My mom used to tell me, don't get in the car with anybody. Now you just text them and say, come get me. I'm standing there, and it hits me. 
the only thing that is between all of these sinners at Times Square, Coney Island, Warrior, Alabama, there's two things in my opinion. Number one is the grace of God. What stands between the sinner and eternity in hell is the grace of God. Because we are all saved by grace. And I believe that there's one other thing that God has placed. If not many more, but I know of one other thing. And it's the gospel that you and I can share with them. It's the grace that they're saved. But it's the gospel Jesus has chosen to put you in between sinners and hell. To tell them about forgiveness. And if you know how much he has forgiven you, you have no problem extending forgiveness. You'll be like a Mary Magdalene. Listen to what Daniel said. He said these things. He said, O Lord. Number one, he said, O Lord. Look at verse 16. O Lord, according to all our righteousness, I beseech thee. Let thine anger and thy fury be turned away from the city of Jerusalem. The holy mountain, because uh, for our sins... And for the iniquity of our fathers. <clears throat> Jerusalem and thy people are become a reproach to all that are about us. Verse 17. Now therefore, O our God, hear the prayer of thy servant and his supplications. And cause thy face to shine upon thy sanctuary that is desolate for the Lord's sake. And verse 18. O my God, incline thine ear and hear Open thine eyes, and behold our desolations, and the city which is called uh, by thy name. For we, look at this, for we do not present our supplications before thee for our righteousness, but for thy great mercies. Daniel says, I'm not praying for my own righteousness. He said, I'm asking for your great mercy. When I come to you, I don't come to you in my glory and in my self-righteousness, but I come to you, Lord, in your great mercies. Listen, Daniel knew his need for grace and mercy. How? Because the we that Daniel talked about, the we, if we stop for just a moment and understood this, it's actually me. Church, we've got to stop saying they are full of sin. They, they, they. The church has to go and say we and me. Daniel moved that. He moved it, church. He did. He moved the we to the me. See, how did he do that? Listen to what it says. <clears throat> Verse 16. Oh, Lord. He said, oh, Lord. Verse 17, now therefore, O our God. Verse 18, he said, O my God. He went from God, our God, to my God. He, he did. He didn't leave anybody out, especially himself. When he could have because of his faithfulness, but he knew that he was just a fleshly man. And he was just as guilty of sin. Listen, he said, oh, Lord, we need these things. Last verse, verse 19. Oh, Lord, hear us. He said, Lord, I'm not asking for a whole lot. But I am asking these three things. Oh, Lord, hear. Um, 
most of us in the Christian church, our biggest thing that we want of God is, oh Lord, answer it. Give me what I want. We, we are. Lord, answer it. Answer it. Answer it. Daniel said, Lord, first of all, I just, I just need you to hear. I just need you to hear me. Oh, Lord, hear. Listen. Here's the second thing. He said, oh, Lord, forgive. Forgive. Look at the second part of that scripture in verse 19. He said, oh, Lord, hear. He said, oh, Lord, forgive. And in hearing, he has to hear this from you. Not, well, the, the prayer of Achan. Anybody know Achan? You know, the story about him stealing the Babylonian gold in the garment and he hid it in his tent and all that stuff. When it come time for him to confess, Mr. Darley, remember what he said? He said, I've done thus and thus. That's not confession. I've done thus and thus. I've done a few things. It's not what he said. Daniel laid it out for from chapter 9, verse 4, all the way to verse 19. He laid out what they did and sin and wrong. And Daniel every time said, it's we, which meant it was me. It's included him. He said, oh, Lord, hear. Oh, Lord, forgive. And the last thing he says in verse 19, he says, oh, Lord, hearken and do. He says, Lord, move now. <clears throat> we get the order wrong. We, we, want, we want to just like bl blurt it out to God and fix it. <laughs> you know what I mean? It, it, it's like an iPhone. Fix it. Fix it. Daniel says, you must take these steps. God's got to hear you first. It can't be that your daddy does it, or your mama does it, or your brother does it, or your sister does it, or your pastor does it for you. God's got to hear from you. And then the thing he needs to hear from you is, Lord, forgive. Forgive me. And he will hearken and do. He says, and defer not. He says, and not for thine own sake, Lord, don't just do it for thine own sake. He says, listen, he says, oh, my God, for thy city and thy people that are called by thy name. Brandon, you go ahead and come on. I want to read you. One of my favorite chapters in the Bible. <clears throat> and I want to show you how it has to move from... The selfish, it's everybody else. It's us. You're not going to like what I'm about to say, but as vile as sin is, as horrible and degrading as fornication, sodomy, homosexuality, heterosexuality, and adultery is. Because they're both just as ugly. The only thing standing between those people that you think you hate or that you can't stand and an absolute eternity, not a time, but an eternity in hell is the exact same grace that God had on you. And hopefully the good news that you can share with them. Hey, I, I, I went into total defense mode on the subway. We were, we were going to Coney Island. I wanted a hot dog from Nathan's. Didn't get one. 
And this guy on the subway was using words that sailors don't use. Just everything. And I was going, oh, Lord. Lord, please help us. He started talking about things that he would do to you in the subway and how he's going to kill you and do all these things. So I go in, move from preacher mode to, you know, I'm stretching, warming up. Because he's right behind me, right here. I don't like people behind me anyway. So I just simply turned like this. Put my arm around my wife. Just looked that way so that I could watch. Andrew's looking down. Jacob's staring right at him. And I'd look at Jacob and go, stop staring. Jacob's like, I'm I'm watching him. He's like, yeah, you got to do it a little bit more delicately. Jacob knows what I'm doing, and I know what he's doing. Positioning your body for the safety of your family. In my mind, literally, I want to share with you. I'm going to be honest. In my mind, there was a subway pole right here. My thoughts are, if he tries something, I'll grab him and hold his little bitty head up against that pole until Jacob does the rest. (laughs) It's what I thought. I did. And then I started thinking. As much as I can keep him from hurting my family. If he rejects Jesus, he's got a worse. And I don't care who you are. If you say you're saved and you can go to bed at night living with somebody going to hell for eternity, I'm telling you, you are not saved. You are not saved. If it is okay for people to go to hell, you don't have what I have in the Word of God. Period. Red, yellow, black, and white, it doesn't matter. If you can be satisfied with people going to hell, you don't have the assurance of true salvation because Jesus died for every one and every sin. We get to McDonald's. I just want an Egg McMuffin. That's all I want. A guy comes in screaming, cussing, shaking, scratching. And I knew that drugs had his body. Demons holding on to him. And I said, God, what do you want me to do? And the guy turned around and tattooed on his neck and said, pray for me. Yes, sir. I can do that. So I started praying. Praying out loud. Listen. Grace and the gospel is the only thing standing between people going into hell. Now, this is what you ain't going to like. If that was your son... If that was your daughter or your grandson or your granddaughter, wouldn't you want them to know about Jesus? Isn't it a little bit hypocritical to not want everybody to know about Jesus? I think so. And I think what we desperately need is written in Psalms 86. I'm going to read it to you. I want you just to listen. I'll read it slow. Bow down thine ear, O Lord. Hear me, for I am poor and needy. Preserve my soul, for I am holy, O thou my God. Save thy servant that trusteth in thee. Be merciful unto me, O Lord, for I cry unto thee daily. Rejoice the soul of thy servant, for unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. For thou, Lord, art good and ready to forgive and plenteous in mercy unto all them that call upon thee. Plenteous in mercy to all them that call upon thee. Give ear, O Lord, unto my prayer. 
and attend to the voice of my supplications. In the day of my trouble, I will call upon thee, for thou wilt answer me. Among the gods, <laughs> there is none like unto thee, O Lord. Neither <clears throat> are there any works like unto thy works. He's saying nobody can save like you can save. All nations whom thou hast made shall come and worship before thee, O Lord, and shall glorify thy name. For thou art great and doest wondrous things. Thou art God alone. Teach me thy way, O Lord. That's, that's my prayer. Teach me your way. Show me how to look at people like you look at them. Show me how to give mercy and grace to people like you give grace and mercy to me. He says, teach me your way, O Lord. I will walk in thy truth. Listen, unite my heart to fear thy name. Put my heart together with yours, God. I will praise thee, O Lord my God, with all my heart. And I will glorify thy name forevermore. For great is thy mercy toward me, and thou hast delivered my soul from the lowest hell. O God, the proud are risen against me. And the assemblies of violent men have sought after my soul and have not set thee before them. But thou, O Lord, listen to this, Craig, art a God full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering. And here is this big old fat word again, plenteous in mercy and truth. David ends saying, O turn unto me and have mercy upon me. Give thy strength to thy servant. And save the son of thy handmaid. Show me a token for good. That they which hate me may see it. And be ashamed. Because thou Lord. Has holpen me. And comforted me. In that prayer. You would find everything that a Christian needs to be seeking. That's exactly what Daniel was praying. He included himself with the sinners. Now, before you get all wishy-washy on me and you go home and say, Brother Steve said we should include ourselves with the sinners and we should pray for them as though it's our very own sin. You're all going to go, well, did he say that? I'm going to go ahead and tell you, yep. He said, why would we want to do something like that? Because isn't that what Jesus did for you and for me? He that knew no sin became sin for us that we might have the righteousness of God because of what he did. Amen. And we need to turn our eyes to him. We need to make sure that we are focused on the word of God that all our hope comes from this and not other things. But we need to do that last thing right there. <laughs> we need to realize the we is me. Me and you. Father, we thank you.